The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the people, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated him in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretched, wretched ones to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him their produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the, his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they fe feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've heard a critique that most Christians are functional atheists. They believe in God, but they function. They live and act as if there were no God. And in all this, it could be implied that there's a rejection of Jesus, too. Now, well, 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 before you accuse me of telling you that you are atheists, listen on. But think about it. Very realistically, many of us live that rejection described in Jesus' parable today. First off, if you're like me, you'd read right into the story that Jesus told that he's telling his own story. How he comes after many prophets sent before him. And finally, the son of the father is sent to set things straight with the people and the land, only to be rejected and killed, as if there is no God. Now, sure, the Pharisees and the leaders heard the parable as if it was talking about them. If you think about it, we humans, all of us, we may realize that 
We're in this together over and over again as we, precisely because we find ourselves separating ourselves from God in so many ways. Now, before you throw me out and stone me or whatever, I actually want to focus on what God is up to. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole Bible because that's what all God is up to, but let me put it this way. God created everything good, right? Everything was in harmony with one another and with God. But that first sin separated us, the humans, from God and separated us from one another. Actually, this is more about humans trying to be like God and therefore denying the very God of our creation. Ever since then, and this essentially is the story of the whole Bible, God has been trying to, to reconcile all people unto himself. God sent, God sent leaders and prophets and teachers to, to do this thing about bringing God's people back to God, to bring that back that original oneness we have. Of course, as we know from the biblical witness, this all came and went at times. At times people re received God, and other times they rejected God. But to sum it all up, and this is a continuation of today's parable, going beyond that to the cross and, and Easter, we read in 2 Corinthians exactly, 1 Corinthians exactly what God was up to. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, and look, new things have come into being. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what God is up to. That has been God's mission from the very beginning. There may be a separation from God and from each other, but in God there is reconciliation and newness, wholeness in God's creation. Let me tell you about the Orang Asli. The Orang Asli, which means the people of the land, are precisely that, the indigenous people of West Malaysia. Over the centuries, They've been pushed into the mountains by the Malay people and other migrants to the land. And the Orang Asli, as a result, have been treated as second-class humans, ostracized and, and set apart. They still live off the land, hunting whatever comes their way, whether it be snakes or monkeys or mountain rats. Now, I haven't eaten the mountain rats or the, or the monkeys, but I have eaten snake, by the way. Not bad, actually. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> now, their small cultivated land is sometimes uh, uh, threatened by, by elephants and the occasional tiger. But more than all this, there are bigger threats. 
Their way of living is constantly under threat of logging developers, hydroelectric dam construction, and the cultural and religious invasion by, the, by Muslims sanctioned by the government. Sound familiar? All this because they are not worthy of the human dignity that they have. Now, the Lutheran Church of Malaysia has come to the Orang Asli. Perhaps initially it was a kind of a, a savior complex, but now they really work with them to find, so that the Orang Asli can find their own ways towards sustainability of life and peace in this world. Pastor Mualip, one of the first Orang Asli pastors, he knows how to navigate all this with his own people. The Christian faith may be something that's come in from the outside, but for him, it is about bringing Christ into all this. God, the creator, a gracious God, together with his own culture that lives with the sensitivities to the land, the forests, and the mountains, and with all this brings dignity with the breath of life. Now, as for the historic members of the Lutheran Church in Malaysia, most of whom are ethnic Chinese, they have come to understand that reconciliation, what this reconciliation can look like, where there's wholeness in relationships, wholeness in relationship to the world around them, and of course, wholeness with God. It's one piece of God's mission to consider the wholeness and reconciliation that's coming about with the Orang Asli of West Malaysia, halfway around the world. But let's hear more about that wholeness and reconciliation, that what it can look like amongst ourselves. Because such wholeness and reconciliation is not just about things far away, but right here too. And with this, we hear from George a little bit more about what that wholeness can look like for us. George is requesting that we have the children come back forward for yet another special message. So I'd invite you guys, if you want to come back forward, I myself will also be joining. I have uh, brought the children up because uh, before we, uh, before I talk a little bit, I, I want to uh, uh, tell a story which I think that uh, would tie in with uh, much of what you've heard already. And the story that I, I want to tell you about is uh, about uh, the creator, Gitche Manitomi, the great, uh, the great spirit. And uh, Gitche Manitomi wanted to give all of the peoples of the forest a special gift. And what uh, Gitche Manitomi did is that he called all the people in and he had them sitting around on the ground, and he said, I'm going to give you a special gift. And the special gift I'm going to give you is a rose bush. And it's a special rose bush because it has blue flowers. 
And the people of the forest looked around, and they didn't quite understand a rose bush having a blue flower. But get your man and told me, he said, there's one thing that I want you to do with this rose bush. I want everybody to share it. If you're, you'd like to smell it, you can. And if you want to uh, eat a little bit of it, you can, but I want you to share it with everybody. Well, so all the people of the forest went away, and they then came back. And they went away again. And one day, Brother Rabbit came. And Brother Rabbit was real hungry. And first, Brother Rabbit smelled the roses. Then he began to uh, nibble on the leaves. Oh, he was still hungry. And the rabbit then finally ate the rose flowers, and he ate the leaves, and he was still hungry. And Brother Rabbit then ate the stems. But Rabbit was still hungry. So Rabbit dug up the roots and ate the roots. Ate the whole thing. Pretty soon, Brother Bear came along, and he said, where's the rose bush? We don't, there's nothing here. Brother Bird came down to the bear and said, Brother Rabbit, who's sleeping under that bush over there, he ate the whole thing. And Brother Rabbit was still sleeping soundly, and Brother Bear came and started shaking him, and there was all kinds of commotion. Brother Deer came along and said, no, 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 let's talk to Getchi Manitomi, the great spirit, the creator. Getchi Manitomi came down. He said, I was afraid this was going to happen. And he said to Brother Rabbit, he said, up in the mountains, in the cave, you find a stick. Bring a stick down and put it in the ground and put dirt down. He said, then I want you to bring in water, and I want you to water that plant. And when the leaves begin to come out and the flowers begin to come out, I want you to call me. So pretty soon, after the rabbit had poured a bunch of mabish or water into the ground, the little stick began to sprout leaves. Pretty soon blossoms came. And they called for Gitchi Manitomi. And Michigami Tomi came down. And he was happy that they had the rose bush. But he said, I'm going to do something to the rose bush so it doesn't happen again. He said, I'm going to put some thorns on it. And, but I want you to share the whole thing with everybody. And I want you to use the water and the earth in a good way so that you can always have something to share with everybody. And so that's the story about the blue rose bush. And so the important thing to remember here is water into the ground and then also then to share with everybody. Okay? Okay. Uh, I'm to speak about uh, 
spirituality. There are so many forms of American Indian spirituality that to uh, really discuss them, you probably take a forum, probably take a, a, a large book and uh, a lot of study to do them. And so today, I'm going to be talking about just one type of, or one symbol in American spirituality, which I think everybody can identify, identify with. And so if we can have the next slide, uh, you'll see that I am going to be talking about some major things that deal with the American spirituality. And before I get too far, I, I remember that there was a uh, talk I went to at Cornell University whereby a, uh, he was Mr. Geneticist of his day, a uh, professor from uh, Yale University. And he talked about the hundreds of thousands of flies that he examined to look at characters, characteristics. And of course, then after he got through talking, he, somebody, you know, one of the grad students who was trying to be, you know, thought he could really score points, said, said why is it, uh, uh, Professor Dobzhansky, that a man of your stature cannot hire a grad student to count all those flies? And Mr. or Professor Dobzhansky looked down at the sky and he said, Sir, are you doubting my ability to count? <laughs> and so the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that there are uh, many forms of spirituality and that uh, you need to find yours. And so uh, the, uh, the major points I'm making here is that I'd like to introduce you to one of the symbols that's in American spirituality that people can uh, understand. Next slide, please. We have here a symbol which I think is understood by many of the American Indians. Before I get too far, though, I have to uh, kind of explain uh, what's proper to say American Indian or Native American. Believe it or not, American Indian is a legal term. You can see that it's even expressed in the uh, museum there on the mall in Washington, D.C. There's the American Indian Museum. It doesn't say Native American. I don't care what term is used, as long as it's used respectfully. Some of the indigenous people in this country don't like either term. They want their own native term, the Ho-Chunk or the Winnebago. Then you have divisions within groups, like the Navajo. Their traditional name is Dene. Some of the older people still want to use Navajo. The younger people want to use Diné. What's kind of humorous about all this is that some of the names that are used are nicknames by adjacent tribes, and some of the nicknames aren't too flattering. <laughs> and I don't think that some of the people who are being flattered or unflattered realize it. They don't realize their own terms, their own name. Next slide, please. We have the medicine wheel. We have also then the four winds. Within the American Indian community, 
the four winds, which are in the center of this, can mean many different things. It can be direction, east, west, north, and south. It can also be the four seasons of the, uh, of the year, winter, spring, summer, and fall. It can also be, well, many things. It sort of depends upon where a person is coming from, what their version is of the four winds. Next slide, please. We need to understand the elements of the medicine wheel. First of all, what's medicine? Well, it can mean much of anything. An example of this is that my grandfather, who worked on the Chisholm Trail, used to uh, be visited sometimes by the uh, Comanche, who said they wanted some baking powder, but they call it chuckawater, chuckawater wa wagon medicine. And they associated something with the chuck wagon which is baking powder that they wanted, and they call it medicine. Medicine means, it's sort of an aphomoric term, or a morphic term, it means many different things. But basically it applies to, it means something which is good, or something which has some kind of power in it. And so, within the idea of the, of the circle, the medicine wheel, you have the four winds, which can mean many things. You also have the outer circle. Within the concept of the American Indians, if that circle is complete, life is good. If it's broken, something bad has happened. In the case of the water, if the water supply is shut off or contaminated and doesn't have the water, then the medicine wheel is broken. Next slide, please. If you, if you look at the uh, medicine wheel in the spiritual terms, you can begin to transition between the American Indian spirituality and also the idea of Christianity. If you look upon one of these medicine wheels center, the four winds, as God the Father. And in the Potawatomi language, it'd be the goat Manitou. First, then you have then the second, which is God the Son. And then if you go into the next one, you have the, the God the Holy Spirit. And then look upon the fourth element, the fourth wind, as yourself. And the question then that can be raised is, have you then formed the Trinity? And also, what is your relationship, which is the north wind, yourself, to the other three? Is that relationship complete? Or is that relationship broken? And so then, that's a good way, I think, to begin to understand the idea of the medicine wheel and how you can go from the idea of American Indian spirituality to American 
or Christian spirituality. And if you also then, uh, I know I'd ask uh, your, your pastor to, uh, to speak about this, but uh, I think for maybe, I don't know, my wife says sometimes to go over my time. And so I, I'm not going to uh, call you up and ask you. But I'm going to refer the congregation to the book of Romans, especially chapter 5. And uh, Paul was writing largely to the Romans and then to the uh, servants or slaves that were in Rome. And he was also trying to show that uh, his message was not to the Jews, the Israelis, but also to the Gentiles. And so uh, he had people understand that. Next slide, please. I have uh, listed some of the attributes of the American Indian versus the Christians. And you see that a lot of these are the same, especially if you go into Galatians. There's a lot of information there about you know, how you're to behave, how you're to act, and so forth. The one problem that we have then in American spirituality, especially if you look at what's called the North American Church, there are some elements of Christianity in that. But one thing that they have trouble understanding is this idea of salvation. And so that is not uh, basically an understanding that is uh, preached in the American Indian Church. But it should be taught in our churches. So thank you.